You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. The reading this evening comes from Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 9. Long ago and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angel, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprighteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our Father, we pray now that you would indeed comfort our hearts and minds, that you would fix our hope more firmly on the author and perfecter of our faith, the Lord Jesus himself. We pray these things that you would do, uh, that you would bring glory to your name and comfort to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's good to see you all this evening. Some of your faces, more of your usernames. Uh, I miss being with you. It's just awful, just seeing usernames and that alone. But uh, I heard from several of you uh, last Sunday and then on Monday morning last week uh, that while several of you are in general agreement in most years of my like no Christmas until Thanksgiving stuff convictions uh, this year to many of you felt different. Things have been so abnormal, so discouraging in the past many months that you have felt like you just needed a little holiday cheer to come a little bit earlier than normal. Uh, And I totally understood that on Sunday and Monday. And then on Tuesday morning, I saw a Washington Post article confirming what many of you were already saying to me uh, amidst surging cases and travel restrictions and cancellations and upended traditions. Uh, the, the writer of this post said this, that families are digging into their storage containers earlier than ever to follow through on one part of the holidays that they can control, turning on the Christmas lights. And then the article quotes the manager of an outdoor lighting company saying that they've had four times the amount of inquiries uh, already this year than they had at this time last year. The manager of this uh, lighting company says, my body right now feels like it's usually, feels like it usually feels on Christmas Eve when I had just been working nonstop for two months. I'm already to the point where I want to collapse and it's only November. I'm sure he's feeling physical exhaustion of working so hard already and getting so many Christmas lights up on top of the same sort of mental and even spiritual exhaustion that most of the world is feeling right now. The same kind of exhaustion and the same kind of feelings that is causing us to want to begin Christmas earlier than normal. To some degree or other, we are all feeling a level of uncertainty, loss, discouragement, 
even depression this year. That's why this year during Advent, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, rather than just spending one week on the four traditional themes of hope, love, joy, and peace, I thought it'd be worthwhile to just hammer down and deeply consider hope for four weeks in a row. In the next month, I hope that we can actually come out on the other side of Christmas with a renewed but also more certain hope in our sure and steady anchor, Christ the Lord. So four weeks coming on hope. This week, we're going to consider the word of hope, that God speaks hope to us through his Son. In his first and past coming, then in his present kingdom, and even in his second coming. And that's all Advent means. It's just coming. So we are considering and thinking and dwelling on the first coming of Christ that it might renew in us a greater hope to come for a second advent, a second coming. So in following weeks, then we're going to uh, think next week on an adoption of hope and then the king of hope. And lastly, a savior of hope just before Christmas Day. But for tonight, because in Hebrews 1, the author of that book says that God has spoken to us by his son, we're going to consider this meaty passage that Alex just read for us in two halves, that of remembering hope and expecting hope. So let's first think back in in, in a past tense kind of way of thinking about hope, of remembering hope. I'm not going to give us a, a full intro into the book of Hebrews, but the text that you just heard Alex read is a pretty good intro and even a summary of the whole entire book. The author of this letter, he just goes for it. And by the way, he, he doesn't identify himself or, or greet the audience uh, like Paul does in many of his letters. And in fact, this is one major reason that most folks don't think that Paul actually wrote this letter. We don't know who wrote it. But this guy just starts preaching about how a page of human history has turned. That the person and the work of Jesus, his uh, identity and his character and also his the, the things that he has accomplished. The person in the work of Jesus is far better, is more significant and even cosmos changing than anything that has happened in the history of the universe so far. This book is all about the supremacy of Jesus. And so verse one starts like this. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So if we're, if we're familiar with the Old Testament, What are these many times and many ways that God has spoken? Well, one commentator sums up all of the many times and many ways as a list of these things, as commands that God has spoken, exhortations, stories, visions, dreams, mighty acts, breathtaking appearances, even a small, still voice, just to name a few. These are the ways that God has spoken to us or two, the fathers by the prophets. Our God is a speaking God. He didn't have to be. He could have remained silent, but in his kindness to us as humanity, he has chosen to reveal himself to us. From the very beginning of the universe, our triune God has been speaking. In fact, he spoke the universe into existence. God said, let there be light just by the word of his power. And there was light and it was good. And so from Genesis 1, the rest of the Old Testament story is a story of God revealing more and more about himself, the plan of his kingdom, revealing more and more of his desire for his people to live like him and love like him. They are to be a people of his word. His spoken word to them is to be what grounds them, what shapes them, what moves them, what nourishes them even. They are to eat, consume, and then be moved by God's word. 
But the Old Testament story is also a story of God's people putting their fingers in their ears, or even living lives of contented deafness. God describes his people in Zechariah 7 like this, but they refused to pay attention and they turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears from hearing. That is like God is saying of his people. They are sticking their fingers in their ears. They're stopping their ears from hearing the word of the Lord. Or Jeremiah 6, where God says, To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are closed and they cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord has become a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. The word of the Lord is coming to the people and they are intentionally refusing to hear. They're stopping the words from coming to their ears, from coming to their hearts. They have no delight in the word of God. And so, verse 1 of Hebrews 1, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but God cannot be faulted for, for like not speaking clearly because he has spoken in many ways. But then verse 2 comes. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers. But now the author writes, he speaks to us. In the past, he spoke through the prophets. Now he speaks by his son. In the past, he spoke in various ways. And though it's implied here, now he speaks in one way. He speaks by his son. So just as God created the universe into existence by speaking light into the darkness, he now in the coming of Christ began his work of recreating the universe into existence by speaking light into the darkness. Even considering all of the light passages, even Isaiah 9 that Clint read for us in our call to worship of light coming at the coming of Christ. He is speaking light into the darkness uh, in a moment of like recreation. So it had been 400 years since God had last, last spoken through a prophet. Last we had heard in Malachi, it had been over 400 years since God had spoken anew to his people, similar to the 400 years of bondage in Egypt, though not identically. God's people in Egypt and now in the coming in the time of the coming of Christ, God's people were oppressed. They were occupied by a foreign world power, Rome, occupying the land and the people of God. It is a dark time. And yet, as Fleming Rutledge says, Advent always begins in the darkness. Just let that settle for a little, a little bit. Advent always begins in the darkness. In blinding light, we read of good news, of great joy that comes for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Glory to God in the highest. Light in the darkness. Hope in hopelessness. That God has not abandoned his promises that God has not disappeared, that though it has been over 400 years, that God has not gone silent. So just as God's word throughout the Old Testament is kind of like this personified character that comes and goes and it moves about, now, in the coming of Christ, as John puts it in John 1, that, that Clint read in our assurance of pardon, the word, the personified word of God becomes flesh. God the Son becomes one of his people, what we call the incarnation, that of God embodied, fully God, but now for the first time in eternity, God now fully man to live amongst us, to die, to live for us, to die amongst us and to die for us, which is what the author of Hebrews is saying. How did God speak to us by his son? 
How does God speak to us by his son? Well, in verse two, and then following, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Now, I think we tend to think about sons or daughters, but especially uh, in, in, when we're talking about the son of God, when we talk about sons as little kids, like when we talk about our sons or being a son, we think about like a little bouncing boy on our knee or something, or even like uh, getting the, the baseball gloves out and having a catch or something with our son. But God the Son is, though born a baby for a time, when we are talking about God the Son, we are primarily talking about the adult son, the heir to the throne. The, the one who operates and speaks on behalf of the father, doing the father's business in faraway lands, expanding the father's kingdom. He is the son, but he is no baby. He is born a baby, but he will grow into the role of the son. That's not to say that he has not eternally also been the son, but he will operate. This, the role of son is that of responsibility. And this is exactly what Jesus has come to do. But Jesus, the son, is actually not altogether different than the father. Verse three, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. So many of you uh, tell me that my son, Caleb, looks a lot like me. I think it's partly because we both wear glasses, but while Caleb and I share many similarities, Caleb is different than I am. He is not an exact representation of me. We are fundamentally different, but the early church helpfully clarified what the Bible teaches to be true of Jesus. Some of you might know that the debate and understanding of who Jesus is came down to just one Greek vowel. A little church history lesson for you, but this is good. Uh, the question on the table in about the, the, the fourth century was, is Jesus of similar substance to the Father or is Jesus of the same substance of the Father? Is he like God the Father, similar to God, or is he the same as God the Father. And the Greek word for same, same substance of the same substance of the Father is a Greek word that's called homoousios. Homo, same, ousios, substance. But the Greek word for similar substance, kind of like, but not exactly the same, but a similar substance is homoi ousios, H-O-M-O-I. So it really came down to just one that one Greek vowel of I. Homo ousios, is he of the same substance of the Father, or is he of similar, homoi ousios of the Father? That is, does Jesus just represent God the Father because he is so similar to him? Or does Jesus represent God the Father because he is God the Son? I'm confident that God the Spirit was aiding and helping the church understand his word by settling firmly on homoousios, that Jesus, the Christ, is actually God the Son. He is one with the Spirit, the Father and the Son. Our God is a triune God. He is they and they are he. Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. Now, Tangent, I, I, I saw a brilliant tweet yesterday uh, this is totally a joke, but th this guy wrote, bishops from across Christendom, set the record straight at Nicaea. Die Hard, this guy wrote, is of the same substance. The movie Die Hard is of the same substance. It is homoousios as Christmas movies. 
Therefore, orthodoxy triumphed over the pressure of Aryan heretics who claimed that Die Hard was only like substance with Christmas movies. It is only similar homoi usias, but no, no, Die Hard is indeed of the same substance. It is homo usias with Christmas movies. But I digress. This isn't just meaningless theology or church history here. This, all of this that we're talking about, is the hope of Advent. It is the hope of Christmas. And in fact, all of this, that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father, that he has made purification for sins, that he is creating, created and upholding the world, world by the word of his power, all of this is actually the only hope that we ever have. That God the Son has come to reveal and speak for God the Father, that he is the word of God. That he has made purifications for sins, that he is reigning over the universe, that his life and death has brought the kingdom of God, that his life and death has brought the forgiveness of sins, that his life and death can bring you to God. Or in the words of one of my favorite Christmas songs, Chris Rice sings, Fragile finger sent to heal us, tender brow prepared for thorn, tiny heart whose blood will save us, unto us is born the only hope we have. So wrap our injured flesh around you, breathe our air and walk our sod, rob our sins and make us holy, perfect son of God. The only hope we have. But this incarnation, the coming of Christ, the first advent of Jesus was at a time in Israel's history where they are at one of their lowest points in all of their history. And it is at this lowest point that God speaks the word, who is Christ. Eugene Peterson once said, a person has got to get fed up with the ways of the world before he, before she, acquires an appetite for the world of grace. A person has got to get fed up with the ways of the world before he, before she, acquires an appetite for the world of grace. And maybe this year is actually and helpfully smacking us in the face. Maybe some of us, for the first time, we are actually becoming fed up with the ways of the world, perhaps fed up with the discomfort that a microscopic virus can bring, where we are now realizing that we were never really in control in the first place, that life and comfort really do hang by a thread, and we're fed up with that. Perhaps we're fed up with politics, with anger, with sin that in our own hearts and that we are bumping up into every day and every week. What a blessing it might actually be to become fed up with the ways of the world, that we might acquire an appetite for the world of grace. Now, for many of us, like summer just rolls right into Labor Day, which then rolls into Halloween, and then the changing of the season, which then like funnels into Thanksgiving, and then the river of the year picks up so much momentum that it just spills over the waterfall into the season of Christmas and then New Year's, and then it's not until the first couple of weeks of January where we feel like we can actually take a breather, where we can take a break from all of the busyness. But Advent, this time leading up to Christmas Day, is meant to be the breather. It is meant to remind us that this world is not the way that it was intended, that we need light in the darkness, that we need to hear from God, that we need a word of hope. And this year, maybe this year, we are in a better position to actually listen, to actually hear. Some of us may be experiencing very felt physical suffering this year. Some of us might be experiencing the suffering of loved ones 
or those very close to us. Some of us are feeling the suffering of isolation and loneliness. Some of us are feeling the suffering, experiencing the suffering of unmet desires, shattered expectations, plans just completely evaporated. But as I recently read, God's response to our suffering is not to give us answers, but to give us himself. All of these unmet expectations or desires, all of this isolation and loneliness, physical suffering, just look at the book of Job. God's response is not always to give us answers, but to give us himself, even much more than Job could have even imagined or hoped for in the coming of Christ, who would suffer for us and with us. So before we look forward in hope, we must first look back in hope that God has spoken, that Christ the Lord has come to rescue his people. Just think about the, the, the line that we sing in O Holy Night, a thrill of hope. That is a power punched or a power packed punch of a three word phrase, thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. In the coming of Christ, what a thrill of finally of hope in the weary world rejoicing for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Not just tomorrow morning, but the new morn of a dawning kingdom. Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. Oh, night divine. Oh, night when Christ was born. A thrill of hope. But after looking back, the first advent of Jesus, we can actually then look forward. So secondly, now, after remembering hope, let's now consider expecting hope. We've been throwing around this word hope a lot already tonight, but I just want to go back to something that I think I hit on nearly every year in this time when we think about hope, that think about how we as Americans typically use that word just in everyday language. When we talk about hope, we are really talking about wishful thinking. Like, I really hope that it snows on Christmas Eve, or I really hope that my team has a good season this year, or even things that we have more direct influence on, like, I hope that I get straight A's this semester or pass all of my classes, or I hope that I get that promotion this year or the Christmas bonus or whatever it is. But in all of these examples, our use of the word hope is actually indicating uncertainty rather than certainty. So I hope it snows on Christmas Eve really means it really doesn't snow that often on Christmas Eve, but I sure hope it will. Or I hope that I get straight A's this semester, or I hope that I pass all my classes this semester. But the reality is it's been an abnormally difficult year and my classes have not been easy. So let's hope, let's hope I pass or let's hope I get the A's. And so again, like I've said for many years in the past, the existence of uncertainty is actually antithetical to what biblical hope is. Not saying that people who do hope in the things to come uh, aren't sometimes filled with uncertainty, but hope is actually fixing our hope in something that is certain to happen. John Piper defines hope as a confident expectation and a desire for something good in the future. So biblical hope is not just wishful thinking for something good. Biblical hope is actually expecting something to happen. 
And it not only expects it to happen, it is confident that it will happen. The reason that we can be confident in something to happen is because the thing that we are hoping for is actually a promise that God himself has made to make all things new, to come again. And so as we've already thought about tonight, because God has shown himself to be trustworthy in the past, he is then trustworthy to fulfill his promises in the future. 400 years of silence seemed like a long time for Israel, and it was. This year feels, and actually has been, a long time. In the grand scheme of things, it's actually not that long, but it can feel that way. It can feel um, like God has gone silent on us. But who is it that is making these promises? In verses 5 through 9 of Hebrews 1, a picture is painted of Jesus who is high and lifted up. He is far above and more glorious than angels. He has been given the kingdom of the universe. He is reigning and ruling. And yet, and yet, even though everything in Hebrews 1 is true, all of that stuff is true, things are still difficult. The kingdom doesn't necessarily seem like a kingdom of light, that light has come when there is so much felt and experienced darkness in our lives. I recently read a great Advent reflection on which this author was reflecting on the night of Jesus's birth when the shepherds were out in the fields in darkness, just a regular old dark night. And then suddenly the sky was filled with glory and with light. They heard the angelic pronouncement that the king of heaven and earth was born. They went to worship him and then things were forever changed. And yet the next night, things kind of went back to the way that they were before, just 24 hours ago. The next night, what was the night like that night? It was dark. It was full of darkness again. In fact, Every night for the rest of their lives was full of darkness again. These shepherds were never going to experience again in their lifetimes uh, the filling of the dark night sky with angelic bright glory. But in that darkness, the darkness of the nights to come for the rest of their lives, the shepherds could remember what they knew to be true in the past. Even the next night, they could remember the night before when it was filled with glory and light. 20 years later, they could remember the night 20 years past, the night that the angels came and pronounced hope to them, that unto them a child was born, the king of heaven and earth. And the summary point of this author was that sometimes we act as though what we're going through is a pre-manger darkness. In other words, sometimes we act as, what, as though what we're going through, we're acting as though Christ has not come. That maybe I am wrongly believing that suffering isn't actually moving towards something or that suffering will fully and finally be pushed out with a new word of hope. Because how much more than what we're going through, like many of us in different kinds of ways in 2020, isn't just like a pre-major darkness. We're not living in a pre-cross darkness. We are on this side of the major. We are on this side of the cross. But even though there is still darkness in the world and in our own hearts, the darkness that we experience is on this side of the empty tomb. The empty tomb is, is on the other side of this darkness that we are experiencing now. The empty tomb from which the light flows. The darkness that we experience is actually on this side of the ascension of Jesus, where he has received his kingdom and he is reigning now. 
but, but we are still on this side, on the past side of the second coming of Christ. It has not come yet, where we look with expectant hope toward a final word of recreation, then spoken to eliminate the darkness forever. And so the reality of our present existence, our present circumstances, reminds us that this experience, that these circumstances, that this life and this age is not forever. That this is not ultimate. It's okay to be fed up with the world as it is. This is not the way it was intended. And it's good to be reminded of that. But then the work of the Spirit within us and the work of the living Word of God speaking to and forming and shaping and moving us should be that of hope. Not grumbling, not complaining like Israel in the wilderness about how bad things are, even when things are pretty bad. Not grumbling and complaining about how I would do things so much better if I was in charge of this or that. Not of making wild accusations of God or questioning his goodness. That he has just let us out here to die. God has brought us out of Egypt and he's led us out here into the wilderness of 2020 to die. That he doesn't care about the well-being of his people. But no, even amongst death, he does care for his people. That because he has done the hard part of rescuing his people from the bondage of sin, that he will certainly bring them to the land of his presence. Remembering what he has done in the past, now confidently expecting what he will do in the present and in the future. Christchurch, walking by the Spirit and shaped by God's word to us with attentive ears, with expectant hope, let's preach hope to ourselves this week, this next month, in this Advent season, not just for a vaccine to come, but for a Messiah to come. Come soon, Lord Jesus, ought to be the prayer of our hearts in this time. 2020 isn't just a year to get through and to say goodbye to forever on New Year's Eve, although it hit me a couple weeks ago that New Year's Eve this year is probably going to be like the biggest blowout New Year's Eve ever, even though we probably will do so from the comfort of our homes. In the Sherman family, we never make it to midnight uh, because, you know, that's late. Uh, we might make it to midnight this year, but God might still have work for us to do yet, and he still might have work to do in us yet in 2020, making us into a people of gratitude, making us into a people of thanksgiving and of kindness and of joy, fed up with the world, fed up with this year, but moving forward in hope. Listening for his word, being formed by his word, and looking forward in expectant hope. And for other, others of us who are actually really enjoying this time, really enjoying the time of isolation, well, that's okay. You don't have to apologize for this time of sitting in your living room night after night. And yet at the same time, God has not created us for Netflix. Streaming services and Netflix are, are good gifts that can be rightly experienced for now, but these are not ultimate. God has created us for himself and to be used by him for the good of others. So while some are fed up with this year, do not be tempted in the other direction as well for some of you. That this year might be actually allowing you to grow more in love with yourself. 
to grow more comfortable in this world with the only expectant hope that you have to be that of the next episode or the next movie. The comfort of our homes is not ultimate. We were created for something far greater, far more, for an age to come, for a Messiah to come. Even so, come Lord Jesus. We, we often sing, we are listening to your word, and might this be actually a prayer of Advent for us as well. That, Father, I long to see Christ, the truth and new life, the word that made the universe. Father, speak. Now I believe I have been set free by the word that lived and died for me. And we are listening to your word. Let me pray that God would actually make us be that kind of people. Oh, Father, we do pray that you would make us a people of your word Creatures of your word, created by your word, and now living, being shaped and formed by your word, both spoken and given through the prophets and through the apostles and handed down once and for all, but also in even uh, even in clear ways and effective ways to us alongside that in the word made flesh might live for us and die for us. It was now highly exalted and sitting at the right at your right hand. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would shape and form us, that you would nourish us, O word of God. Spirit, we pray that you would cause us to be content, joyful people, people of hope, looking in expectation and confident expectation of your word to come again. And so even now we pray Come now, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.